Good morning, Meta. Uh, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 14. You know, this was, uh, preparing the message this week was a struggle. Uh, as I was working through this text and trying to figure out what does Paul mean by tongues and by prophecy and how's, how does this all work, uh, it just seemed so very distant from the struggles that uh, so many people in this congregation are, are facing right now, uh, that the question came up for me, why am I going to talk about this when so many people in here have had uh, their lives devastated by the recent hurricane? You know, many of you, you're, you're still, you're staying, you're, you're crowding your whole family into somebody else's house, hoping uh, to somehow be able to find an apartment at some point if one should become available in Houston. Many of you in here have uh, spent the week battling the, the smell of mold as you're uh, hammering out, uh, hammering out uh, sheetrock from your, from your garages or from your living rooms. Uh, and, you know, I, quite frankly, I said, what, what does this have to do with uh, the struggles that our congregation and our city are going through? And so I prayed uh, should I just scrap 1 Corinthians 14 and just move on to uh, maybe a message that deals directly with the impact of the hurricane uh, and how we are to respond uh, to it, uh, how God will minister to, a, to us in the midst of that. And so I went back and I picked up an old, an old book by C.S. Lewis in which he dealt with something very similar. Uh, at the beginning of World War II, in the UK, he was charged with teaching freshmen, students, uh, university students, medieval poetry and medieval philosophy. And he's looking at these students, many of whom he knows are going to die on battlefields within the next two, three years. And he was faced with the question, should we do this? What's the point of studying this when we've got a war going on? And he came up, I think, with a very profound answer. And it forced me back into the text here. And I think this text in 1 Corinthians 14 has an even more profound answer as to why in the midst of hurricanes or wars or what have you, we need to take the space to sit down and listen to and work through patient exposition of the word of God, even if it has nothing to do with the immediate crisis facing us. And why that is, I will get into as I move into the passage, but I just want to explain, I, I want to just let you know, I'm, I'm mindful of what we're going, going through right now. Uh, you know, yesterday, uh, this week, uh, there was a, I was going back and forth. On the one hand, I'm, I'm talking to people who've been impacted by, by the floods. Uh, you know, Monday, uh, we were out here. Was it Monday or Tuesday? Tuesday, we had uh, the food supply drive. And, you know, I, just, I admit, I, I loved that. 
I, mean, I loved hauling out these, I love preparing things, giving stuff to family. I mean, I'm, I'm in there. I'm using Spanish, which I haven't used in like 25 years, using it poorly. And you know, just how, when you learn a third language, I mean, I'm there, I'm looking at, I, I remember, oh, can I remember that? I said, Lata. And say, all right. And the first question is, what's the measure word for Lata? No one gets that show. Okay, there is. Um, because I'm think, I think so much in Chinese with foreign language, I realize wait, Spanish has no, no measure words, Andrew. What are you, why, are you, why are you thinking that? But it was, it was fun. I'm there, and you've got these, these women with their children, and they're hauling out huge bags. And so I go up, and I say, hey, necesitas ayuda. Ah, si, si. And so I'm carrying these out there, and I'm happy. And then a few minutes later, I'm in the sun. I'm not so happy. Tienes coche? Just praying that they have a car. And I don't have to take it to the apartments next door. But as I see their gratitude, I see them impacting real lives on the spot and seeing that I'm offering help. There was, there's, yeah, this is what the Christian faith is about. This is what we should be doing. And then I go back home and I'm trying to pour through a letter written 2,000 years, years ago to people who live 8,000 miles away from here. The dissonance was real. And as you listen to the message today, you might be feeling that. I just want you to know I get that. I understand that. There is a time and a place for us to sit down and really just talk through what has happened over these last couple weeks. And we'll do that this afternoon. We'll meet in room 153 from 1 to 2, uh, maybe a little bit longer than that. You know, we've been through a lot, and we need the space to sit down and lament and also to praise God and to just kind of debrief this as, as a church. But there's also a time to work through the Word of God, and that's what we're going to be doing today. So please uh, look at 1 Corinthians 14. I'll be reading verses 1 through 25 from the English Standard Version. Pursue love. And earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Now brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge, or prophecy, or teaching. If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct tones, uh, distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves. If with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, 
strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nonetheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. If Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign, not for believers, or not for unbelievers, but for believers. If, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Father God, I just pray that right now you would give me the power of your Holy Spirit to make clear your word, that we would understand the meaning of your word, and that we would understand how this word can edify and build us up in the midst of the crisis that Houston is facing right now. Father, speak life into us, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Paul has been, I, I'm not going to go through all of 1 Corinthians. We've been going through this book this year. Uh, the main theme we've been following is that, uh, is that God, throughout the generations, the love of God throughout the generations, transforms his people into imitators of the crucified Jesus. That God's love works in us, not that his grace work and his love works in us, not to free us to sin, but to free us to walk in the steps of our Lord, of our master Jesus. And that as believers, our lives slowly begin to conform to the image and the model of Jesus. And Paul is addressing areas at the church in Corinth where they're not imitating uh, the crucified Jesus. But in fact, they are living lives that are self-centered, divisive, and loveless. And Paul is coming towards the end of this, and now he's talking about the spiritual, the manifestations of the Spirit in different ministries within the church. And as you read through this, and, and as, Pastor, uh, as Minister Kai uh, spoke last 
two weeks ago, and you can listen to it online as we had no service. He just uh, recorded the message. But above these manifestations of the Spirit in various ministries is love. Love is the purpose of everything that God does. Prophecy, tongues, knowledge, teaching, administration, all of this will pass away when Jesus returns. Faith, hope, and love, these last forever into eternity. And so don't put your hope in any special manifestation of the Spirit, but put your hope in Jesus and pursue love above all else. And in pursuing love, he then says, in verse one here, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, or just the spiritual in the the original language. You earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And the way that, if you you look at the the grammar here, uh, the way we are to pursue love is to earnestly pursue these manifestations of the Spirit in ministry to one another. And then he upholds prophesy, prophecy in comparison to tongues. Prophecy represents a whole host of gifts, of manifestations of the Spirit that edify and build up the church. Tongues, however, uninterpreted, does not edify the church. It only edifies the individual believer. Now, for a lot of you, you may not even know what we're talking about here, so I want to give some definitions. What are tongues? What does it mean by tongues? And if you look through the New Testament, you'll see that uh, tongues, uh, we first begin to see it in the book of Acts. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes down on those who are gathered together, and they rush out. The Holy Spirit falls on them. They rush out, and they begin sharing the mighty works of God in the heart languages of all those who have come to Jerusalem. So people from uh, Persia or Iran are hearing, uh, hearing testimonies of God in Persian. And those who are from, uh, from Arabia are hearing it in Arabic. And those who are from uh, Lebanon are hearing it in Lebanese. And from Egyptian, right, for Egypt are hearing it in Egyptian. Uh, so the Spirit of God has come and allowed these people to speak in languages, human languages, that they have never spoken before, that they could not possibly know apart from some supernatural act on the part of God. So that's, that's the first instance we see of tongues, and it is a, super, it is a supernatural ability to speak a human language that you could not have learned naturally. But as we move on through Acts, we see uh, tongues function in a different way. So we see that uh, when the Holy Spirit falls on Cornelius, a Gentile uh, centurion, a soldier, he hears the word of God and the Holy Sp- from Peter, and the Holy Spirit falls upon him, and he starts speaking, it says, in tongues but we're given no understanding of what that is. Is he speaking a language that they all understand, uh, that Cornelius could not have possibly understood, or is something else going on? The text doesn't say. Again, later on, Paul goes to the city of Ephesus. He meets some believers there who've only been baptized with the baptism of John the Baptist. They haven't heard of the Holy Spirit. Paul shares with them, the Holy Spirit falls upon them, and they start speaking in tongues. 
And again, we're not told what exactly is happening there, but evidently, it's, a, it's just a sign that the Holy Spirit has fallen upon them. So we go from tongues being an ability to speak a language so that other people can hear the mighty works of God, that as you move through Acts, it now becomes a sign that the Holy Spirit has fallen on people whom you would not think could receive the Holy Spirit. So it serves to authenticate that they truly are members of the people of God. Now we get to Corinth, and there it seems something different still is happening. People are speaking in a tongue, some language, and nobody knows what it is. Nobody can understand it, and it seems to be creating chaos. And the interesting thing here is that Paul does not say, don't do that. In fact, later on, he will state very specifically, do not forbid the speaking in tongues. But equally strongly, he's saying that has no place in the church, in the gathered assembly of the saints. When we come together, you must do that which edifies and upbuilds other people, not just yourself. And so this theme of self-serving, of self-building uh, up, of self-aggrandizement is, is working its way in here. And evidently what's going on is there's this, this phenomenon going on in Corinth where people are speaking words that they do not understand themselves, other people don't understand, and that is some highly prized gift or phenomenon that they are holding on to that they are grasping onto. And Paul is saying there's, there's something underneath this. There's an attitude here that is not befitting the church. You are benefiting yourself and leaving others out. They cannot say amen to your thanksgiving. It would be as if someone came up here and started preaching in Russian. They might be preaching the word of God in a way that uh, is the mo- it, it, it's mind-blowing and it is deeply edifying and is uh, showing who God is in a way that we've never seen before and none of us would benefit from it because we don't understand. So tongues, as it's practiced in Corinth, seems to be a language that nobody understands that allows them to communicate to God, but does not build up anyone other than the user. Now, it seems that from this passage that it could be interpreted, that God might give the gift of interpretation to someone, and they could tell you what exactly is being said. And if that's going on, if you have a, 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 if you're speaking in a tongue, and you believe there's going to be an interpreter, Say, all right, at least that will build the word that build up the church. But it doesn't seem like that happens very often here. And so Paul just says, Hey, build yourself up. I pray in tongues more than all of you. I love praying in tongues, Paul says. But in church, I'm gonna say ten thousand I'd rather say five words with my mind than ten thousand words in a tongue. Prophecy on the other hand, uh, so, so tongues, I'm just going to define tongue as a, 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 an experience in which we speak words we don't understand 
to God in prayer. Now, how that relates to what we see today in the churches or in, in, with people speaking in tongues, I will address more fully next week. But for today, I'm just, as it's practiced in Corinth, that seems to be what's going on here. Prophecy, on the other hand, uh, in the New Testament is different from the prophecy we see in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, prophecy is primarily someone receives a direct authoritative word from God that is infallible. So, uh, so infallible that it can be written down and considered scripture. In the New Testament, we see something a little different. So for instance, Paul, on his way uh, to Jerusalem, encounters the prophet Agabus. And Agabus said, takes, takes Paul's belt and he ties himself up with it. And he says, whoever has this belt, you see the way this is tied up? Whoever owns this belt, that's how he's going to be tied up by the Jews in Jerusalem who will deliver him over to the Gentiles. And Luke tells us that the Holy Spirit was speaking through Agabus. And then we see all the brothers through the Holy Spirit warning Paul, do not go to Jerusalem. And Paul responds by saying, look, you're breaking my heart, but the Holy Spirit is compelling me to go to Jerusalem. So there's something odd going on where Luke tells us the Holy Spirit told Agabus Paul's going to be delivered, captured by the Jews and delivered to the Gentiles. And by the Holy Spirit, people are telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. And Luke at the same time says the Holy Spirit was telling Paul to go to Jerusalem. And what we see is that Agabus's prophecy is kind of right. Paul was bound. However, he was not bound by the Jews. He was bound by the Romans. And it was the Jews trying to get the Romans to hand him over to the Jews. So Agabus just kind of, he's hearing from the Holy Spirit. He's speaking what he hears, but it's not... 100% correct. It's not, it's not like Old Testament prophecy. It doesn't have the same kind of authority that the apostles will speak with. And so what has to happen is when a prophet comes into the church, so we'll talk about this next week, what he says then needs to be weighed. It needs to be evaluated. It needs to be sifted to see what is from God and what is not. So prophecy in the, in the New Testament covers a wide range. It could be a, a word given from God to address a situation supernaturally. All the way to prophecy can encompass authoritative teaching and preaching. There's a wide range of what prophecy covers in the New Testament, and I don't think we need to nail it down exactly as to what Paul is talking about here, because I think Paul's primarily trying to say what matters is that prophecy builds up the church, and that's what we should strive for, building up the church. Intelligible, clear words that can be understood that point us to what God's word is saying to us as a church, that is to be pursued. 
more than this supernatural experience of ecstasy that you, that you have with tongues. The corporate body is to gather together in order to love one another. In fact, Paul will say later on here that if we do, if God does speak to us through words we don't understand, that's not a good thing. If you look later on in the passage, uh, he quotes Isaiah 28, 16, where it says by, in, in verse, uh, my eyesight, 21, if the law, in the law is written by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners, will I speak to this people and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not to believers but for unbelievers. What he's doing is he's going back to uh, the prophet Isaiah warning the nation of Israel that they, if they do not repent, the nation of Assyria and then the nation of Babylon will take them captive, will destroy their nation. And the way is that people of a strange tongue will come and speak to you. And so when people of strange tongues come and speak, when God speaks to you by people of strange tongues, that's bad. When the word of God comes and you can't understand it, then the judgment of God has come. It is a sign that you are being treated by God as an unbeliever. And the proper response is to repent before judgment hits. And so in the assembly of the saints, in the congregation, tongues are not the appropriate way by which God is to communicate to people. Prophecy is. Prophecy is a sign for believers. In other words, prophecy is the sign of God's presence given to those who believe. And so what happens when tongues are given, unbelievers come in, and they're not going to be saved by it. They're going to think we're mad. But prophecy comes in, and prophecy is God speaking his word clearly. And so an unbeliever comes in, and it's a sign of God's gracious presence there. And what happens is, is that prophecy convicts the unbeliever of his or her sin. The secret sin of the heart is exposed through the word of God, which leads to saving faith. Prophecy brings faith. And in that sense, it is a sign for believers in that it is God speaking belief to people, is bringing belief through prophecy, whereas tongues are a sign God gives to those who do not believe as a sign of their judgment. Now, so prophecy, teaching, instruction, gifts that edify the church that everyone can participate in, that is what should be going on in the Sunday service or in any group meeting of the church. We are to clarify God's word for each other and encourage one another to believe it, embrace it, rejoice in it, and obey. Okay. Now, what does this have to do with Hurricane Harvey? Okay. Three things I want to say in the little time I have. Uh, number one, Hurricane Harvey is a finite event. What I mean by that is that uh, our lives 
are certainly shaped to some extent by what happened to Harvey, but it is not the sum of our being. We were created, we as people, everyone in here was created for our minds and hearts to be focused on that which is eternal and infinite. Hurricane Harvey is not that. Hurricane Harvey had a set beginning and it had a set end. God at one point just said, no more. And he put an end to it. Now, most of us, we realize, most of our our lives didn't just completely end with Hurricane Harvey. We still uh, continue to uh, find ways to communicate with each other. Some of us still probably looked at stuff on the internet, or if you had power watch TV, we still laughed, we still joked, we still got together to eat. Life went on. Much of ordinary life, we still tried to carry on as much as we could. We told stories to our children. We played with them when we had the opportunity. Friendships continued. Marital intimacy still continued. I am curious to see how many babies are born in late May or early June of next year. Life continued to go on. On the battlefields, when men are in the trenches, they don't just sit and talk about the war. In fact, as I've talked to veterans, it's very often they're trying to talk about anything other than the war. They'll debate theology or talk about baseball or uh, just kind of share pictures of their girlfriends or wives. Life goes on even in war, even in hurricanes. Because we were meant for much more than finite events like wars or hurricanes. And for us to come here today and sing and exalt in the word of God, for us to take the elements of communion, for us to uh, teach children the word of God in Sunday school, or to come together to study Galatians like we began this morning, it is our way of saying God is infinite, not Hurricane Harvey. God is so much more and so much bigger than one storm. Number two, health, healing, joy are often found in the ordinary. I've talked about this before, but God came to us in ordinary form. The incarnation is a very ordinary event from a human perspective. You know, I mean, Jesus came and he had to learn, he had to be potty trained, he had to learn language, he had to learn how to walk. He took on flesh and blood in the most ordinary of ways. God communicates to us in the most ordinary of ways. Through nouns and verbs and adjectives and adverbs and prepositions and participles. Okay, those are not exciting things. Those are not huge things. But that's how God makes himself known. It is through ordinary things like words on paper or bread and, should be wine, unfortunately it's grape juice, bread and wine, that God prepares our hearts to endure and persevere through something like Hurricane Harvey. I've been blown away and sharing this, I was sharing this with Pastor Dave. Uh, I don't know if I was with, with Pastor Edward as well. I was sharing this with Pastor Dave about just how amazing the response 
I've seen in this church. We have had people lose everything in this hurricane, and it's those very same people who are texting me saying, you know, I fully believe God is going to be glorified in this. No complaint whatsoever. You know, I hate to do this to him, I lose his reward, but I mean, Jimmy, Jimmy and Tomo Tsai were digging out sheetrock from their house. I mean, they come into the church after an afternoon of doing this, and Jimmy is just like he always, a smile on his face, enjoying his heart. After, I mean, just kind of looking at the damage this thing had done, say, all right, it's time to get to work. And then he comes back to get Nate, his son Nate at the church, and I mean, he's just, the joy of the Lord is there. I have heard no complaining about Hurricane Harvey. Where does that come from? It comes from week after week, just sitting and listening to people explain how nouns and verbs and adjectives and adverbs work together in the Word of God. And what happened, and once a month, coming and receiving grace through the communion elements and weekly just meeting with other believers in small groups as we go through the ordinary means of God speaking to us and making clear his word for us. Change occurs in our heart and when the day of trouble hits, our faith is found to stand. And that is why in the midst of hurricane recovery, we sit down and continue to take the time to let an ancient document from 2,000 years ago speak to us. The final reason, final reason that we come and listen to the word is found here. Again, as I said, my greatest thrill this week, my deepest joy, physical feeling of joy, emotional feeling of joy did not come trying to piece together 1 Corinthians 14. It came trying to carry out bags of groceries where you know, enough cans and gallons of milk to feed an army, uh, to, to try to drag that out to uh, someone's pickup truck and seeing the smiles on their face or walking through our halls and seeing the thank you notes from Westwood Elementary School on uh, Minister Cynthia's uh, door uh, in the hallway. I encourage you to go by and, and look at those this week if you have a chance. Okay. Or hosting a couple of families at our house uh, who are uh, struggling with uh, not having a, a place to stay because, because of Hurricane Harvey. I mean, that's where I felt a thrill from that. I felt alive as I did that. I know many of you felt the same when you went out and knocked out sheetrock and dug up flooring, which you're not supposed to do, but you dug up flooring for people in the midst of, of, the, of the hurricane. Some of you, I mean, threw out backs and aren't complaining about it, but want to go back out there as soon as you can. Okay. That feels real and immediate. God feels present. I imagine tongues felt the same way for the Corinthians. That must have felt like the real deal where God is immediately speaking to me and not listening to some preacher try to expound uh, some text I barely understand. We need to fight against that. We need to fight against the idea that uh, real Christianity is just going out and helping people. We need to remember 
that underneath that, the foundation for that, the joy that, that leads to that, the motive power f- for that is found in the life-giving words of God. And if we do not continue to sit at the feet of Jesus and let him teach us, we will burn out. We don't just want a month or two of good works to serve our community. Ten years from now, I want a much closer relationship with Westwood Elementary. I want the kids in this neighborhood ten years from now to know that they're loved by this church. We're in this for the long haul. And that is only going to happen if we give attention to the edifying, life-giving words of God and the teaching that makes it known and clear to us. As we come before the table of the Lord, I want to invite the communion service to come forward. Let us not look lightly on the ordinary means by which God communicates his love for us. This is just bread and wine, but God has chosen to make his spirit to make himself present spiritually through it, that we might receive grace. So let us now come, and as we exalted in the word, let us now exalt in God, making himself present to us through bread and wine.